over the, hey, over the last few weeks, we've been looking, we've taken a look at what the Bible says about joy, sadness, anger, fear, and tonight we're looking at disgust, and I don't know why we don't have a disgust cut out, but we don't. Shh. I didn't mean to upset any of you. I'm so sorry. Um, we, 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 we're basing this real loosely talking about um, on this movie that came out this summer, Inside Out, which is a great movie, by the way. Uh, we, we talked about um, joy not being cir- circumstantial, talked about not being controlled by our anger or by sadness. And tonight, we're going to talk about uh, disgust and, and what Scripture has to tell us about disgust and the role that plays in our lives. And it's possible that you're thinking, well, the Bible doesn't say a lot of dis- about disgust. I've read some of the Bible and don't see anything in there. Uh, well, you're wrong. Uh, and so... When we think about disgust, when, when I think about disgust, I think of things that are gross and icky, to use a technical term. Um, and so I think about things like over the weekend, on Saturday morning, my wife and I woke up, and we live with my brother right now, and our son sleeps in the walk-in closet that's in the room we, we live in. It's real, it's real great. Uh, and so we woke up, and we went to get him out of his pack and play, and we got him, and he had taken his diaper off because he's a little kid, and that's what little kids do. We got him out. And about two or three minutes after we grabbed him out, we realized, hey, he kind of stinks. So he'd taken his diaper off, and he had pooped in his pack and play. <laughs> not a big deal, okay? So there's like, there's like a little pile here, a little pile here, cleaned it up, washed the stuff, not a big deal, okay? These are, these are the things like that when you're thinking about having kids, nobody ever tells, because I told this story several times, and, and parents are like, oh, yeah, that happened to us. If anybody ever told this story to people before they had kids, nobody would ever have children. That's why they keep these things secret. I'm helping you out. <laughs> Fast forward to the next morning, Sunday morning. We wake up. We go get him out of his crib, and he greets us again. He greets my wife. He's got his diaper off, and this time he's got poop all over himself, <laughs> all over his stuffed animals, all over his blankets, all over everything. Um, Hillary cleaned it up because that's just the kind of man I am. I'll let my wife clean up the baby poop. Um, and she almost threw up because it was gross. Some of you are almost throwing up right now, and I need you to keep that down. Uh, but, but these are the kinds of things that I think about when I think of disgusting. I think about cockroaches. Anybody else think cockroaches are gross? Yeah, crickets. Yeah, we got the great cricket invasion going. Yeah, disgusting. There's no reason for them. I don't think God makes mistakes, but I do believe that roaches are a direct result of the fall. Uh, and so these, when I think about disgusting, when I think about things that disgust me, this is how I think. I think of the gross and icky things. Uh, but as Christians, as people who are believers, if you're here tonight and that's you, what we have to realize is that in, in so many areas of our lives that we have this way that we think about something, that we view something, um, but, but we have to be moving toward how does God look at this? How does God think about this? How does God, is there a cricket right there? Mm, great illustration. Thank you so much. Um, so tonight, so tonight as, as we talk about disgust, we're moving from this is gross, it grosses me out, to, to a holy disgust. A, a disgust that, um, that breaks the heart of God. Holy disgust is things that break the heart of God. This is the way that we have to change how we're thinking about things. We all have things that disgust us. Um, some of you say crickets and roaches. What are some others? What are some things that gross you out that, that are, like, disgusting? Anybody? Boys? Okay, great. Yeah, just, come on, give them to me. Dog food? Okay. Anybody else? What? I, oh, hey, hold on, hold on, hold on. 
I told, I told you all to yell out, but then I realized I can't hear you. Let me get two hands. Let me get two hands. Right here. What? Throw up. Yeah, that's disgusting. Septic systems. Also gross. Yeah, that's, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, yeah, in the, in the, in the yellow shirt, like neon yellow right there. Yeah, that's you, brother. Cats? Cat, okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, cat pee. Hey, ooh, yeah. One more. Right here. Dog flu flavored jelly beans. Yeah, you had that. That's gross. So, so we all, we all, hey, bring it, rain, rain it in. Rain it in. We all have these things that, that gross us out, things we just can't handle. Some of it we have an explanation for. As a kid, my brother threw some roaches at me and scarred me for life. Yeah. Um, some of it we just can't explain. Like, there's, it's, there's no reason for it, but it grosses us out. We can't handle it. It doesn't make it less real to us, but there's, that grosses me out. Can't handle it. Can't deal with it. There are other things that disgust us, and, and when we talk about disgust, we go, that's something that's not right in the world. When I look at God's created order, I recognize that as something that's broken and it isn't supposed to be happening that way. And it, and it gives you that, like I said, that holy disgust. There's something that stirs inside of you that realizes this wasn't meant to be this way. And I've had to learn over the last couple of years um, that the things that disgust God aren't so much the, the icky, gross things, the um, canned dog food, jelly beans, cat pee, um, roaches, baby poop, vomit. Um, it, it's, these, it's these things that are... that that are a holy disgust, these things that, that break the heart of God. And as we become more like God, as we, as we learn through Scripture and teaching and these things, more about the character of God and things that should give us a holy disgust as well. Some of the things that are, that are a holy disgust to God is unrepented sin. If, if something that you do or someone you know is doing, uh, they say, I know that sin. I don't care. I'm not doing anything about it. Doesn't bother me. I'm going to keep on doing it. That, that's something that causes a holy disgust in God. Uh, sexual immorality in all of its shapes and sizes. Um, there, there's, there's guys and girls in this room, um, statistically, we just know that have an addiction to porn going on right now. That's something um, that, that breaks the heart of God. Being sexually active outside of marriage, something that breaks the heart of God. Uh, war and violence and killing in general. Uh, you know, we're, we're seeing on the news more and more and more, it feels like. Um, you know, X number of people killed by this person, um, you know, police officer killed by this person, this person killed by a police officer. We can sit in a room in the United States of America and remote control a plane that'll blow somebody up in another country halfway across the world. This breaks God's heart. Things that, that dehumanize humans, that treat anybody as less than a created being of God for any reason. We see... Um, human trafficking, sexual slavery. We saw the video a second ago. Um, when we see toddlers um, wash up on the shore, drowned to death from a boat that capsized, fleeing a war-torn country. That stirs a holy disgust in God. Lance, you can take that down. There's things we don't understand. I see that picture and I see my son. I see little boys and girls around the world who are deprived of the things that I take for granted, deprived of life because of the time and the place where they were born. You may see a younger brother or sister, a cousin, a niece, a nephew, something. But when we, when we look at this, when we look at uh, Alan Kurdi and see because of the place he was born and the time he was born, his family tried to get out of somewhere and he dies because of that, that breaks God's heart. 
when we go, that, that could have been me if I was born there. That could have been my younger sibling if we were born over there. It doesn't mean a whole lot to us when we just hear, um, oh, there's, there's a civil war in Syria. It mean a whole lot to us when we just see these things scrolling on the news under our favorite TV shows all the time. But when we really um, begin to seek God and ask Him to break our hearts for the things that break His, uh, He changes the way that we inhabit our world. He changes the way that we see things. Holy disgust is, is things that happen every day in our world, in our lives, in the lives of people we know and love, and, and all around the world. And so... Satan works to bring the kingdom of hell to this earth. And, and we, if you're in this room tonight and you're someone who, who knows God and is following Jesus, uh, our job is to be people who are bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. If you want to turn in your Bible to John chapter 2, that's where we're going to be tonight. I'll give you a minute to turn there. Uh, John is the fourth gospel. You can use your table of contents if you want. It's the fourth book in the New Testament. Um, John's gospel is different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what we would call synoptic gospels. They give us a chronological overview of the ministry of Jesus while he was here on earth. John's gospel is more concerned with, with who Jesus was, the theological truth of who Jesus was. And so um, John isn't so much concerned with when things happened as he is with what's the truth behind what happened. So the story we're going to read is Jesus cleansing the temple. The other three Gospels put this at the end of Jesus' ministry, and John starts off with it in chapter 2. It's not because John was wrong or wasn't there or didn't understand. Uh, he wants to set out this truth about who Jesus is before he gets into some other things about who Jesus is. So we're going to be in John chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. It says this, it says, When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, Get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. So we find a Jesus who's come to the, to the Jewish, house, Jewish house of worship uh, of God to find a Walmart, right? You can buy stuff, you can get your money changed out, not a big deal. And he has this holy disgust stirred within him. We have to look at uh, a couple things going on here uh, in Jesus' time before we can kind of jump back and go, okay, so what, what about... Us today, 2015. The first thing we see is that the house of God is being desecrated. Um, verse 14, in the, in the temple courts he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So uh, this is, Lisa, this is the, the Jewish temple. This is where they come to worship God, and Jesus walks in. Jesus, fully God, fully man, uh, realizes that, that his place of worship is being used um, as a store, right? Um, he, he realizes that... Um, they're, they're upcharging us. It would be like if you were to walk in here tonight, and like before you walked in, we had some people out there like, hey, you, you, you had to buy a Bible to go in. They're like, oh, I got a Bible. Oh, yeah, but you have to have this Bible. Oh, okay, well, you know, how much is it? Like, like seven bucks? Oh, no, this Bible is $90, and you can't come in without it. That's what's going on here, right? They had to pay a temple tax. They had to pay that with a specific money that the exchange rate, uh, they're getting messed over on, okay? Like the people who are doing this, they are making a ton of money on this, and Jesus isn't having it. Okay, so, so that's what's going on there. The other thing that we see is it's possible Jesus is setting up the irrelevancy of the animal sacrifice. Like I said, this, this really is happening towards the end of Jesus' ministry where he's headed to the cross uh, to, to be the perfect final sacrifice 
for, for all of humankind, and, and he, he's, he sees them selling animals to be sacrificed. They had to have a clean, unblemished animal, something they were going to bring in from the outside, wasn't going to cut it. So, they, so people were, were you know, charging ridiculous amounts for a dove. I don't know what a dove went for in those days. I don't know what a dove goes for today. But um, you know, they're, they're, they're overcharging them to be able to sacrifice to God. The last thing we see is that we see a holy disgust, disgust kindled in Jesus because where this is taking place is in, what, is in what's called the court of the Gentiles. The temple had um, a couple different levels. There's the inner court, which is for the priests. The priests are the only people allowed to go in there. They go in once a year to make a sacrifice. There's the outer court for the Jewish men. Only Jewish men are allowed to go in here. There's another court that's for Jewish women where they can go to worship God. And this outermost court is called the Court of the Gentiles, and it's where Gentiles, men and women who weren't Jews, could come in. People who were seeking God could come and worship Him and try to learn more about who He is. And it's, it's useless to them. It's being used to sell these things. And so Jesus has this righteous anger, not like we talked about last week where you get mad and you fly off the handle, you say something mean, or you're passive-aggressive, whatever the case may be. Um, and He does something about it. So, so for you, what, you're not in the temple, right? Uh, we, don't, we don't go to the Jewish temple. But the, there are things that stir a holy disgust in us. And what are we supposed to do with those? The first thing is that you can identify things that stir a holy disgust in you and in God. You can identify things that stir a holy disgust in you and in God. We, we said earlier, there, there's things going on all, all around us that we, we realize that's, that's not how God intended that to be. That's not what's supposed to be happening there. We, we realize that on some level. It, it can be somewhere in our community, in your community, wherever you live. It could be something that's happening at your school. It could be something happening in, in our church. It could be if you have a job, it could be something going on at your work, or it could be happening in your home. There are guys and girls in your schools and your clubs, your extracurricular activities um, who have an addiction to porn or have an addiction to prescription drugs or what we might call more traditional drugs or alcohol. These, they have these addictions to these harmful things that are going on. I've been in some of your schools over the last couple of weeks having lunch with some of y'all. It's been tons of fun. I hope to be able to continue to do that. But, but one of the things I see is there's in every school, there's one or two people sitting off by themselves. And some people... I want to be by myself, I'm reading, I'm listening to something, whatever. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people you can tell they're sitting by themselves because nobody will go and interact with them. We talked earlier about dehumanizing. That's dehumanizing somebody. They're being treated as less than a created being of God because of the way they look, the way they talk, the way they act, the way they smell. These things that are going on in your schools today. These are things that break God's heart. These some of the things we've talked about, so many others. And if, if it's not something that's breaking your heart, you need, to, you need to take some time and do a pretty serious heart check of yourself. You need to ask yourself, are you really becoming more like God? Are you really adopting the characteristics of God in your life if these things uh, don't stir a holy disgust in you? You need to begin to spend time in prayer asking for a holy disgust um, of the things that break the heart of God. Second thing you can do is you can pause. Um, scripture says, uh, verse 15, it says, So he made a whip out of cord. I don't know how long it takes to make a whip. I'm guessing it's not just like a real quick thing. I don't know. I, I thought about giving it a shot this week, and then I realized I don't know how to make a whip. I don't want to watch a YouTube video about it, uh, but maybe someday. Uh, but, but he took a step back. 
right? He, he doesn't just go in and start punching people in the face. Uh, sometimes we look at this verse and go, yeah, Jesus got angry. Jesus got violent, whatever. That's not what, that's not what Scripture says. It says, this happened, and he made a whip of cords. He took a step back. He paused. Jesus, God, took a second. So what's happening here? What's the most effective thing I can do to make this not happen? And his infinite wisdom, he thought, I'm going to make a whip. Uh, and so he goes and makes a whip. It doesn't say he went and whipped people. It says he drove them out. Listen, if some guy walks in and starts, like, whipping a whip at you, you're probably just going to run. You're not going to ask questions, okay? That's a weird thing to have happen and kind of scary a little bit, okay? So, so he, he pauses. He takes a minute to figure out what's going on before he decides, how do I act? What do I do? So what we can do, we can pause and ask God for wisdom. We can ask God uh, for his heart and his mind toward the situation and the people involved. The last thing we can do, you, you can become an expert. Becoming an expert in 2015 is not a hard thing to do. I said, I didn't want to watch a whip on how to make a, um, or watch a YouTube video on how to make a whip. There we go. Uh, but I probably could have. I watched a YouTube video today on how to do the numbering on a paper I'm writing for school because that confuses me. It has to be different in different places. It was weird. I got it figured out. But it's not difficult to become an expert about something today. You, you can start in about three seconds. Being an expert is not being in charge. It's knowing what's going on. So it's asking yourself, do I, do I really know what's going on? Do I know if anything is being done? Do I know who is working to right this wrong? Do I know how I can come alongside of that? My wonderful wife, who's back here, um, is a teacher. Uh, she teaches at Liberty Hill, L Hill. Anybody here? Panther Pride? You? Rocket, brother. Um, just you, by yourself. I'm sorry. I don't. Yeah, I mean, you're gonna have to live that out for the next few years. Um, she's at Liberty Hill. Last year, we were living in Brownwood. She was teaching at, at the Brownwood Intermediate School, and she had some challenging students. Is the really nice way to say it. Uh, and on the first day of school, she came home and she was like, "I don't know if I'm doing the right thing because I might have murdered some of these children today." She had all those kids all day uh, in elementary school. Like, you stay with your homeroom teacher all day, like the first day of school. Next day, they switch some of the teachers. And these other teachers on her team who have 60-plus years combined of teaching between them said, this might be the worst group of students we've ever seen. Okay, this is how bad these kids are. So the whole rest of the year, she comes home and tells me some really just awful things that these kids do. She was the whole year trying to guide them into acting right uh, in, a, in an environment, a situation, so that other people can learn well. Uh, try to get them to stop um, you know, beating each other in the middle of class. Um, stop saying really awful things and writing really awful things in some of the books. Um, drawing lewd pictures of each other and things like that. Uh, and so she spent all year trying to do this, and finally, it starts to get around the school. Hey, you know, Stippy's class is like the worst class we've ever had. Uh, other teachers are talking about this. So one day, the assistant principal comes in, and he lays into him a little bit, right? Like he just he just kind of gives them the rundown. Um, you'll probably hear me uh, at different times uh, over the next however long I happen to be here, um, talk about Brett in the old days. Um, you guys don't understand, he's an old softy. Um, age and daughters have softened him. Uh, when, when I was here and I was a student and Lance was here and Rochelle and, and Mike Jones, uh, we used to call him Hitler Brett uh, because he was the actual worst. Uh, if you like did something like this much wrong, 
you were done. You like you can't. You're done. You're never coming back. It was awful. Um, but but so he kind of gives them that rundown. He lays into these kids for a few minutes. I won't say that it fixed everything, okay? Because these kids, um, one of them is in jail. We found out this week. Now, like, you're talking about a sixth grader, um, and so that's who these kids are. Um, but but she spends the year trying to get them to to kind of change some of their habits and the things they're doing, um, really to kind of no avail. Not because she's doing anything wrong, but he comes in and spends some time laying into them, um, and it may not have changed anything, but they reacted a little bit differently, um, and they, and they had some parents that reacted a, a little differently. Because he's, an, he's, he's seen as an authority. He's been in the Brownwood school system for 25 years. He's, he taught some of these kids' parents. People know who he is. He's an expert. He's an authority in that situation. So it's, it's not about being an authority in the sense that you're in charge, you have the power, you can tell somebody what to do, but, but being able to speak as an authority on the subject, being able to, to understand what's happening, doing the research, doing the work to understand what's happening and how you can come alongside God and existing works to correct the issue. There's a theologian named St. Augustine, uh, or Augustine, depending on how you want to say it. Uh, I don't think the grass is named after him, but I could be wrong. Uh, but, but he wrote several things. He wrote a, he wrote a, a book called The Confessions of St. Augustine, and he wrote another one called The City of God. And in this book, The City of God, he begins to talk about uh, the city of earth and the city of heaven. And we view them as these two separate things. We view what happens here on earth as having no effect on what happens in heaven. He says it's a, it's a wrong way to view things. He says if you, if you view it that way, then what we do here on earth, you get no return on your investment. What you do here on earth has no eternal lasting effect, and there's really no reason to do it then. He says the kingdom of heaven, or he says the kingdom of earth and the kingdom of heaven have nothing to do with each other than the things we do on earth just for, the, for, the, for our time on earth. There's no reason for it. It's not going to get us anything. Now, he says if, if, if there's a kingdom of heaven and a kingdom of earth, two separate things, and, and we only look toward kingdom of heaven, we've missed the point here. We've missed out on an opportunity to change the worlds that we inhabit, to change our schools, to change our homes, to change our teams, to change our group of friends, because we've only been thinking about what's going on in heaven and what's going to happen when we get there. He says, when we begin to remember that heaven and earth will become one eventually, someday, after lots of other things happen, when we begin to remember that when heaven and earth become one, it changes the way that we do things on earth. It changes the way that we inhabit our world. And this is what holy disgust is about. It's about understanding that things that happen on earth affect, have eternal consequences. It's about understanding that when we see that that's, that's a holy disgusting thing, that's, a, that's an unjust thing, that, that's a, that's a, uh, that stirs a righteous anger in Jesus, how can I become a part of fixing it? How can I fix something that's happening here on earth for some eternal consequences in the kingdom of heaven? That's what understanding holy disgust is all about. That's what moving toward a holy disgust, moving away from the things that gross us out is all about. It's not about um, being holier than somebody else, about being a better person than somebody else. It's about working to bring the kingdom of heaven um, a little more near to to us here on earth. I'm going to pray. And then I think we're playing boxes, but I don't see Brett, so we'll see what happens. Pray with me. We're thankful for the opportunity to to come here tonight and learn more about who you are. Thankful that that we live in a place where we can do that. We understand not everybody does.
you're thankful um, for uh, for the band they, they lead us in worship through music I'm thankful for the opportunity um, to, to worship through teaching that my prayer for us this week is that we would begin uh, to ask you for your heart and your mind toward the world around us toward our families and things happening in our homes toward our schools toward our teams the things we do for extracurricular if we ha- if, if we have job things that are going on there Yes, for your heart and your mind to recognize things that stir a holy disgust within you. God, not just that we would recognize those things, but that we would begin to act. That we would understand what to do. It's, it's with your mind, with your heart, with your eyes that we, begin, we can begin to change our world so that people don't see us, but begin to recognize you and the works that are taking place. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who live and reign together forever and ever, that we pray. Amen.